The first scripture lesson today comes from Luke chapter 11, verse 1 through 13. He was praying in a certain place, and after he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us, and do not bring us to the time of trial. And then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, Do not bother me. The door has already been locked. My children are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Well, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I ask to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you, if your child asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if your child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? But if you then are evil, you know that to give good gifts to your children, how much will more will be the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Please stand for the next hymn. The second scripture lesson today is from Acts 16, verse 11 to 40. We therefore set sail from Troas and took a straight course to Samothrace, the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city to, of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate by the river where we were supposed to where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who gathered there. 
a certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Thyatira and a dealer of purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul, and when she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. And one day, as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a female slave who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners a great deal of money by fortune-telling. While she followed Paul and us, she would cry out, These men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept doing this for many days. But Paul, very much annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. But when her owners saw that the hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Midrash is a Jewish form of understanding scripture. In Midrash, a passage is read, a question is raised, and then the answer is found within scripture itself. The authority of an answer is determined by where the scripture is found. In the writings such as Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, those books, they're authoritative. But the words of the prophets have more authority. And the words in the Torah have even more authority. Then within the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, within those books of law, the words of Moses have the greater authority. But the highest authority are the words of God. If we apply this scheme of authority to the New Testament, the letters of Paul would have great authority. But even greater would be the gospel accounts and those words. And then within the gospels, the words of Jesus would have the greatest authority because Jesus is the word of God. Today's sermon is a midrash on this passage from Acts that we just read. It was written by Luke's. Acts is the second volume of, <clears throat> of a work whose first volume is the Gospel of Luke. In the Gospel of Luke, the action is moving Christ toward Jerusalem, toward the crucifixion and resurrection. In Acts, the action is moving the church out into the world. Luke is an amazing writer, and he's very fond of a storytelling technique of framing. He will set a story inside a story and sometimes set those inside another story, putting parentheses or frames around the story. And he does it with this passage. The theme, the common theme, is complete freedom. And complete freedom is not just freedom from something, but freedom for something. And with the purpose of sharing the love of God. Complete freedom is freedom from our sins and from the effects of the sins of others so that we can go about doing the will of God. 
And Luke in Acts has beautiful writing. Yet there is a question that appears to be left open, and it's bothered me for years. Using scripture, however, we may find the answer. We'll get to the question later. Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, my rock and my redeemer. Right off the bat in this passage, we see the word we. First person, personal, plural, right? Any of your English teachers. We, at Luke places himself in the story. So many times he's telling the stories of the church and of Peter and of Paul, and it's he and they, and he's their third person. But this time he is in the story. Luke, the author, is in the story, the writer. He puts himself into the account. Throughout the account, he was there. He personally witnessed what happened. So it's we, and it takes place in the city of Philippi. That will be important to the answer to the question that we're going to ask later. That's in Philippi. On the Sabbath, they went outside the gate by the river. The river there in Philippi had a bend in it, and it formed a natural amphitheater. So lots of things took place there. But they went out to, a, to the gate by the river, and they were supposed that there might be a place of prayer. That tells us that there was not a synagogue in that town. Paul always went to the synagogue first. But there was not a synagogue in there, which meant that there were not 10 Jewish men available to form a synagogue. But those that were Jewish would gather the maybe seven men and who knows how many women, but they would gather by the river and they would pray and they would study. And a certain woman named Lydia was there. Now Lydia is a name that means a woman from the district of Lydia. It's a geographic nickname, like we might call somebody Tex, or we might call somebody the Dakota Kid, if they were from one of the Dakotas. Lydia was believed to be a freed slave. Perhaps she was, as a child, indentured to a family. And she fulfilled those terms of indenturement. She was a worshiper of God, which meant she was not born a Jew, but she was converted to the faith. And she was listening to us. She was from the city of Thyatira and a dealer in purple cloth. Now that city of Thyatira was located in the district of Lydia, and it was known for its cloth dyes. In fact, archaeologists have found among the ruins of Thyatira inscriptions relating to a dyer's guild in the city. And it's possible that Lydia was a member of this guild and then moved her business to Philippi. We see that the Lord opened her heart and to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. This term is used Ten times in the New Testament. Four times referring to pe every time referring to people being ready to receive the good news of the love of God in Christ. But always in other cases either referring to the eyes were open to see or the ears were open to hear. This is the only time it's applied to the heart. 
her heart was opened to hear that receive the good news. And when she and her household were baptized, that meant she was the leader of her household. It would not have been a husband or other guardian over her. And household is the same, has the same root for economy, ecology, and ecclesiology. It's, it's a word that is inclusive of a community that must work together. Household included community, included the family, the servants, and the workers. And when it came to religious and moral practices, even the guests. Those familiar with Downton Abbey, anybody here ever watch it? Okay, it, you'll understand how the welfare of a household affects everyone in it and even those associated to it. So it's very significant that Lydia and her whole household, her whole economy, her whole community were baptized. Her faith became their faith. <clears throat> and then she urged them, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay in my home. She was independent. She did not have to clear her decision with a husband or anyone else. She was prosperous. Her household was large enough to support workers and servants and to offer hospitality to guests. And she evidently was held in high regard because she did not worry about her reputation when it came to inviting somebody to stay with her. There was enough space, enough people, and enough clout to protect her reputation in that daring request. Then it says, and she prevailed upon us. That meant she wasn't going to take no for an answer. So she was influential and strong-willed, even with male strangers. Now this woman was a leader. This woman was independent. She had forethought for the needs of others. She showed hospitality. And she was open to the ways of God. Later on, perhaps the next week, they were going to the place of prayer down by the river, and they met a slave who had a spirit of divination, and with it brought her owners a great deal of money through her fortune-telling. Now, her slavery is, was, slavery is the form of human trafficking. And her owners were exploiting this girl's gift for their own financial gain. I call her a girl because she was not allowed to live as an independent adult. She was most likely a young woman with very little experience beyond what her masters allowed her. Her owners, however, probably took very good care of her, like you would a racehorse, because she made them money. They would have fed her well, kept up her appearances, dressed her well. Maybe they even dressed her in that stylish purple that Lydia made so that she could gain attention with an appearance of prosperity and authority. She was influential but not independent like Lydia. She was enslaved. Enslaved but treated preferentially 
because of the money she could earn. Enslaved, but preferentially treated, she was probably not popular with the other slaves in the household. She did not have a people, no family. She was not equal with her owners, nor was she equal with the slaves around her. She followed Paul and us, and she would cry out, These men are slaves of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. She spoke the truth. However, she spoke the truth very loudly, shouting, following them nonstop for many days. And Paul became very much annoyed. Now, that's not the best motive for a Christian. But God can work with it. If more people would become annoyed with things like human trafficking, exploitation of minors, greed, things might change. Paul, very much annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. It was an immediate effect, and it was done in the name of Jesus Christ without a lot of Hollywood drama. But within that same hour, her owners saw that their hope of making money was gone. And if you want to look for wrongdoing, follow the money. They seized Paul and Silas, dragged them to the marketplace, and they brought them before the magistrates. They said, these men, these Jews, are disturbing our city. Disturbance? That was lie number one. The one that was causing the disturbance was their slave who was raising such a ruckus, shouting and following and stalking. And the disturbance was what Paul had put an end to. That was lie number one. Then they said, and they're advocating customs that are not lawful for us being Romans to adopt or observe. Not lawful. They had just called them Jews, and Jews were a recognized religion by Rome. That was lie number two. Christianity, until that point, had still been regarded as just a sect of Judaism. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates had them, one, stripped of their clothing, two beaten with rods, three severely flogged, then threw them into the prison and ordered ordered the jailer to keep them secure. All of this was against the Roman law for Roman citizens. They had rights, and they had all been violated by the magistrates that were supposed to ensure the rights. Then after the stripping, beating, flogging, They threw them in the prison, and the jailer, following their instructions, took them to the innermost cell and fastened their feet with chains and stocks. That meant they were in a place where if you didn't bring the light, it was total darkness. You couldn't even see your hand in front of your face. Stripped, beaten with rods, severely flogged, all because they helped a girl who was being exploited. No good deed goes unpunished. If you're going to do righteous and kind acts, expect resistance. 
especially when it affects the economy of those doing the abuse. So what did Paul and Silas do? Did they whimper and cry? No, they prayed and sang hymns to God. At midnight, they were praying and singing. And the other prisoners could hear them. So they weren't just whispering. They were shouting God's praises. Talk about a disturbance. Talk about what can make some people uneasy. Talk about what can make people pay attention. Is to have someone who has been whipped, beaten, stripped, chained, singing, singing hymns to God. Was their faith shaken? No way. This was just another opportunity for the gospel to build faith in the other prisoners and perhaps the guards who might be listening too. Paul had and Silas walked into town uh, free Roman citizens, but they were stripped of their rights as well as their clothes, violently beaten, falsely accused, bound and shackled, thrown into utter darkness, and their response was to pray and sing. And this is where we reach the turning point of the story. Every story written by Luke, every account of the acts of Jesus and of the church have a turning point. And this is it. Sin, disease, and justice would always take the story down into the darkest darkness. And when things can't get any worse, they do. But then God steps in and offers a pathway out so that forgiveness, healing, and justice can be made real. And God's people can be restored to the light. There they were praying and singing in the darkness and suddenly there was an earthquake so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were unfastened. Not just the Christians, not just Paul and Silas, but everyone received the benefit of God's love for them. Except when the jailer woke up and he saw the prison doors wide open, he drew a sword and was about to kill himself since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted out to him from the darkness, do not harm yourself. We are all here. Now there's a miracle. Prisoners suddenly freed, not running away. Paul and Silas had a job to do, and that was to help the guard, the head of the prison, find Christ. But what about all those other prisoners? They didn't run away either. That's another miracle, not just the earthquake, but the fact that they were so captivated by the message that they stayed. Those who were chained were unchained. Doors that were closed were open, and the abusers, the incarcerators, were comforted. The story had gone down, reached its turning point, and now it was coming up. So the jailer called for lights, and rushing in, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them outside and said, Sir, what must I do to be saved? 
those who were delivered into injustice were now becoming the deliverers of justice. They answered, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. There's that household again. Because if something had happened to the jailer, it would have also happened to his guards and his family and his servants. They spoke to the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And at that same hour in the middle of the night, he took them and washed their wounds. Responding to the word of God, the abuser becomes a healer and a comforter. Then he and his entire family were baptized without delay, and he brought them up to the house and set food for them. He offered them hospitality. And he and his entire household rejoiced because he had become a believer in God. The whole household was affected by his faith. Morning came. The magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. (laughs) They were already let go. And the jailer reported the message to Paul saying, the magistrates sent word to let you go. Come on out. Go in peace. In doing that, he was reversing the lie of number of lie number one, that of causing the disturbance. They were now bringers of peace. But Paul replied, they've beaten us in public. We were uncondemned. We didn't have a trial. We men who are Romans, and they threw us into prison, and now they're going to discharge us in secret? Certainly not. Let them come and take us out themselves. God gave him the boldness, the freedom, to speak truth to power. So the police went back to the magistrates and told them, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came out and apologized to them, reversing line number two, the false accusations. And they took them out and asked them, can you at least leave the city? They didn't leave immediately. After leaving the prison, they went to Lydia's home, and when they had seen and encouraged the brothers and sisters there. And by now, where previously they didn't have a congregation of ten men to form a synagogue, now they had many brothers and sisters in Christ. There were those that they were already preaching to down by the river. There was Lydia and her entire household. There were the prisoners that listened to them in the jail. And there was the jailer and his entire household. Wow, talk about church growth. Boom, boom, boom. They encouraged the many brothers and sisters there, and then they left. This is a perfect framing. It began with Lydia, and it ended with Lydia. Lydia is the first person recorded to have been saved in Europe. All the others were in Israel and and around. In Asia, she was the first one converted in Europe. First one to be saved. And later in in biblical history, we'll discover that there is a church formed in Thyatira, her hometown. Paul never visited that city in any of his missionary journeys. So we have no record of who established that church. Could Lydia be the one who brought the gospel to Thyatira? Maybe. Maybe when she went to the meeting for for the guild of dyers. But that's not the question I want us to look at. 
It was a lovely telling of the story by Luke, a lovely account of the activities that happen. But there's one nagging question. What happened to the girl? We know that Lydia became a leader in the church. She became a supporter of Paul and his missionary journeys, what we'd call a patron. And she went on with her business and her household. But what happened to the girl? She was no longer profitable for her owners. She wasn't even worth feeding as an untrained slave. She was now garbage to them. Was she cast out into the street? What kind of salvation would that be? We read from Psalm 85 this morning. Show us your steadfast, o love, steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Surely his salvation is at hand for those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. What kind of salvation was it for that girl? In the same psalm we read, the Lord will give what is good. What good was it for that little girl? It also says righteousness will go before him and make a path. Faithfulness will spring up from the ground. Righteousness will look down from the sky. Steadfast love and faithfulness will meet. Righteousness and peace will kiss each other. God would not have delivered this girl from the demon only to let her out into the streets. This girl needed someone to help her, to be there for her, to understand her unique needs. Her needs to deal with the trauma of being enslaved. Her needs to deal with the trauma of being exploited. Her needs of dealing with the realities of being rejected and turned out. She needed somebody that was independent, strong-willed, and resourceful. She needed a mama she-bear watching after her. A she-bear ready to defend her and to discipline her. Jesus said, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. Is there anyone among you who, if a child asked for a fish, would give a snake instead? Or if a child asked for an egg, would give a scorpion? Then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more would the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God would not have delivered this girl to let her out in the streets. This girl needed somebody to care about her. To give her a new purpose in life. To be her guide and mentor. The answer may be found in Philippians 4, verses 2 through 3. We never knew the girl's name in Luke's account. And we only knew Lydia's nickname. We didn't know her real name. 
But in Philippians, the letter that Paul wrote to Philippi, he never mentions the name Lydia, but he does speak directly to, I entreat Euodia, whose name means prosperous journey, and I entreat Syntyche, whose name means fortunate or with fate. I entreat them to agree in the Lord, and I ask you also to help these women, for they have labored side by side with me and the gospel together. The church of Philippi was dealing with two strong women who were in disagreement with each other. Two outspoken and influential women who were committed in faith but struggling. I don't know for sure, but I have a feeling God may have placed Lydia and Philippi to be the protector and mentor of the girl, making a path for righteousness. Oh, she would have been a tough girl to handle because she was used to having her way, maybe a little bit spoiled. She was outspoken and would even follow strangers in the street, shouting the truth to them. Oh, she would have been a handful. But who could handle such a girl? But Lydia, who knew what it was like to be a slave. Lydia, who knew what it was like to have to make it on her own. And Lydia, whose heart had been opened. To the love of God. Making a path to righteousness. I don't know. Luke may have put the frame around the story. But I have a feeling. God wove it together. With a purple thread. Thanks be to God. Let's see.